Chapter Eight of Seven Keys to Baldpate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. Seven Keys to Baldpate by Earl Der Biggers. Chapter Eight. Mr. Max tells a tale of suspicion. An hour passed. Mr. Max admitted, when pressed, that a good cigar suited the soul, and accepted another from Maggie's stock. The professor continued to talk. Obviously, it was his favorite diversion. He seemed to be quoting from addresses. Mr. Magee pictured him on a Chautauqua platform, the white water pitcher by his side. As he talked, Mr. Magee studied that portion of his delicate, scholarly face that the beard left exposed to the world. What part had Thaddeus Bolton, holder of the Crandall Chair of Comparative Literature, in this network of odd alarms? Why was he at Baldpate, and why was he so little moved by the rapid changes in the make-up of the inn colony? changes that left mr magee gasping he took them as calmly as he would take his grapefruit at the breakfast table only that morning mr magee by way of experiment had fastened upon him the suspicion of murder and the old man had not flickered an eyelash not the least strange of all the strange figures that floated about baldpate Mr. Magee reflected, was this man who fiddled now with Chaucer while metaphorically Rome burned? He could not make it out. Mr. Max inserted a loud yawn into the professor's discourse. Once I played chess with a German, he said, and another time I went to a lecture of purifying politics but I never struck anything so monotonous as this job I got now. So sorry, replied Magee, that our company bores you. No offense, remarked the yellow-faced one. I was just thinking, as I said here now, it all comes of people being suspicious of one another. Now, I've always held that the world would be a better place if there wasn't no suspicion in it nine times out of ten the suspicion ain't got a leg to stand on if suspicion can be said to have a leg evidently mr max desired the floor graciously professor bolton conceded it to him speaking of suspicion continued the drab little man on the threshold turning his cigar thoughtfully between his thin lips reminds me of a case told me by pueblo sam a few years ago in some ways it's real funny and in others it's sad as hell pueblo sam was called in them terms because he'd never been west of sixth avenue he was a swell refined gentleman who lived by his wits and he had considerable a confidence man suggested magee something along that order admitted mr max but a good sport among his friends you understand well this case of suspicion sam tells me about happened something like this 
one scorching hot day in summer sam gets aboard the conny boat his idea being to put all business cares away from an hour or two and just float calm and peaceful down the bay and cool off so he grabs out a camp chair and hustles through the crowd up to the top deck beside the pilot's hangout and sits down to get acquainted with the breeze if such there was well he'd be sitting there about ten minutes sam tells me when along came about the easiest picking that ever got loose from the old homestead i beg your pardon protested professor bolton the ready money the loosened kale the posses in the garden waiting to be plucked elucidated mr max this guy sam says was such a perfect rube he just naturally looked past him to see if there was a trail of wisp of hay on the floor for a while sam sits there with a grouch as he thought how hard it was to put business aside and get a little rest now and then and debating whether being on a vacation as it was he'd exert himself enough to stretch forth his hand and take whatever money the guy had while he was arguing the matter with himself the jay settled the question by coming over and sitting down near him he's in the city he tells sam to enjoy the moving pictures of the streets and otherwise forget the trees back home that grow the cherries in the bottom of the cocktail glasses and believe me he says to sam there ain't none of those confidence men going to get me i'm too wise he says i'll bet money you are sam tells him laughing all over at the fish that was fighting to get into the net yes sirree says the last of the mohicans they can't fool me i can tell them as fur away as i can see them and my eyesight's perfect one of them comes up to me in city hall park and tries to sell me some mining stock i guess he ain't recovered yet from what i said to him i tell you they can't fool mark Denon, says the guy sam told me that at these words he just leaned back in his seat and stared at the jay and whistled under his breath years ago it seemed sam had lived in the town of reedsboro vermont and run up and down the streets with one suspender and a stone bruise and the kid that had run with him was mark Denon. and sam says he looked at this guy from the woods that was running round crying to high heaven he needed a guardian and he sees that sure enough it was a towhead mark Denon, and sam told me something seemed to bust inside him and he wanted to stretch out his arms and hug this guy mark Denon shouts sam as i live of redsboro vermont the kid i used to play with under the arc lights don't you remember me but sam says the guy just looked at him straight in the eye and shut his jaw and says i suppose you'll be asking after my brother george next you ain't got any brother george you idiot laughs sam he told me he was thinking how he'd treat his old friend mark to a dinner that would go down in history in ridsboro mark you old rascal he says don't you remember me 
Don't you remember little Sam Burns that used to play Andy over with you? And that stole your girl in 1892? Don't you remember the old days in Redsboro? He was all head up by this time, Sam tells me, and all the old memories came creeping back, and he kept thinking he never was so glad to run across anybody in his life. You remember little Sam Burns, don't you? He asks once more. But this guy just looks back into Sam's eye with his own cold as a still, and he says, says he, You're pretty clever, mister, but you don't fool me. No, you don't come any games on Mark Denning. But Mark, says Sam, I swear to you by all that's holy that I'm that kid. I'm Sam Burns. What proof do you want? Do you remember old Ed Haygood that used to keep the drug store right across from the post office? The guy that never washed his windows? I do. And Miss Hunter that taught the sixth grade school when we went there. A little woman with washed gray eyes and a broken front tooth? And that pretty little girl, Sarah somebody. Wait a minute. I'll get it. Or bust. Sarah. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Scott, you used to be so sweet on. Did you marry her, Mark? And old Leif Perkins, who used to be on hand whenever there was any repairs being made anywhere. Rheumatism and a cane and a high, squeaky voice that he used to exercise giving orders about things that wasn't any of his business. Why, Mark, I remember them all. Good Lord, man, says Sam. Do you want any more proof? But this country blockhead just looked Sam up and down and remarks judicious. Certainly wonderful. How you know all these things? Wonderful. But you can't fool me, he says. You can't fool Mark Denon. Mr. Max paused in his narrative for a moment. The sound of voices came up from the office of Baldpate Inn that of the mayor boomed loudly and angrily in an evident desire to drown it mr max went on with the spirit well gentlemen it got to be a point of honour as you might say for sam to convince that guy he told me he never wanted anything so much in his life as for mark Denon to give in it was a hot afternoon and he'd come aboard that boat for a rest but he peeled off his collar and started in he gave mark Denon the number of bricks in the methodist church as reported in the reedsboro citizen at the time it was built he told him the name of the piece mark's sister recited at the school entertainment in the spring of eighteen ninety he bounded on all four sides the lot where the circuses played when they came to Ridsboro. He named every citizen of the town, living or dead, that ever got to be known outside his own family. And he brought children into the world and married them and read the funeral service over them. And still that bonehead from the woods sat there, his mouth open, and says, It is beyond me how you know all that. You New Yorkers are slicker. Then I give you credit for... But you can't fool me. You ain't Sam Burns. Why, 
I went to school with him. They was drawing near Connie now, went on Mr. Max, and Sam's face was purple, and he was dripping with perspiration, and rattling of Ritzboro happenings at the rate of ten a second. But that Mark Tennant, he sat there and wouldn't budge from his high horse. So they came up to the pier, Sam almost weeping real tears and pleading like his heart would break. Mark, don't you remember that time we threw little Bill Barnaby into the swimming hole and he couldn't swim a stroke and nearly drowned on us? And still getting the stony face from his old pal. And on the pier, this tenant held out his hand to Sam, who was a physical wreck and a broken man by this time, and says, You sure are cute, mister. I'll have a great time telling this in Ritzboro. Once you made one too smart for ye, eh? Much obliged for your company, anyhow. And he went away and left Sam leaning against the railing with no faith in human nature no more. I hope somebody got to him, says Sam to me, and got to him good. He's the kind that if you work right you can sell stock in a company for starting roof gardens on the tops of pyramids in Egypt. I trimmed him myself, says Sam to me, but I hadn't the heart. Mr. Max finished and again from below came the sound of voices raised in anger. An interesting story, Mr. Max, commented Professor Bolton. I shall treasure it. Told with a remarkable feeling for detail, added Mr. McGee. In fact, it seems to me that only one of the two participants in it could remember all the fine points so well. Mr. Max, you don't exactly look like Mark Dennett to me. Therefore, if you will pardon the liberty. I get you, replied Max sadly. The same old story, suspicion. Suspicion everywhere. It does a lot of harm, believe me. I couldn't. He jumped from his chair and disappeared, for the voice of Cargan had hailed him from below. Mr. McGee and the professor with one accord followed, hiding in the friendly shadows of the landing once again. They heard the loud tones of the Major's booming voice and the softer tones of Glance. How about this? bellowed the Major. Hayden's squealed. Phones to Bland, not to me. Whines about the courts. I don't know what rot. He's squealed. He didn't phone the combination. The rat! screamed Mr. Max. By the Lord, Harry, said the Major. I'll have it open anyhow. I've earned what is in there, fair and I've earned it. I'm going to have it, Max. See here, Cargan, put in Mr. Bland. Keep out of the way, you, cried Cargan, and put away that popcorn before you get hurt. I'm going to have what's mine by justice. That safe comes open tonight. Max, get your satchel. Mr. McGee and the professor turned and ascended to the second floor, in front of number seven, they paused and looked into each other's eyes. Professor Bolton shrugged his shoulders. I'm going to bed, he said, and I advise you to do the same. Yes, replied Mr. McGee, but had no idea what he had said. As for the old man's advice, 
he had no intention of taking it melodrama the thing he had come to Balpate to forget forever rage through that home of solitude men spoke of guns and swore and threatened what was it all about and what part could he play in it all he entered number seven and paused in amazement outside one of his windows miss norton stood rapping on the glass for him to open when he stood facing her at last the window no longer between he saw that her face was very pale and that her chin trembled as it had in the station what is it cried magee i mustn't come in she answered listen you said you wanted to help me you can do so now i'll explain everything later this is all i need tell you just at present downstairs in the safe there is a package containing two hundred thousand dollars do you hear two hundred thousand i must have that package don't ask me why i came here to get it i must have it the combination was to have been phoned to cargan at eight o'clock i was hiding outside the window something went wrong they didn't phone it he's going to open the safe by force i heard him say so i couldn't wait to hear more i saw him who asked mr magee i don't know a tall black figure hiding outside a window like myself the man with one of the other keys i suppose the man mr bland heard walking about to-night i saw him and i was terribly frightened it's all right when you know who the other fellow is but when it's all so creepy i was so afraid so i ran here the thing to do approved mr magee don't worry i'll get the money for you i'll get it if i have to slay the city administration of reuton in its tracks you trust me asked the girl with a little catch in her voice the snow lay white on her hair even in the shadows her eyes suggested june skies without knowing who i am or why i must have this money you'll get it for me some people said mr magee meet all their lives long and pick little teas and never know one another while others just smile at each other across the station waiting-room that's enough i'm so glad whispered the girl i never dreamt i'd meet anyone like you up here please oh please be very careful neither cargan nor max is armed bland is i should never forgive myself if you were hurt but you won't be will you i may catch cold laughed mr magee otherwise i'll be perfectly safe he went into the room and put on a gay plaid cap makes me look like sherlock holmes he smiled at the girl framed in the window when he turned to his door to lock it he discovered that the key was gone and that it had been locked on the outside oh very well he said flippantly he buttoned his coat to the chin blew out the candles in number seven and joined the girl on the balcony go to your room he said gently your worries are over i'll bring you the golden fleece inside an hour be careful she whispered be very careful mr billy just for that cried magee gaily i'll get you four hundred thousand dollars 
he ran to the end of the balcony and dropping softly to the ground was ready for his first experiment in the gentle art of highway robbery end of section eight recorded by gabby cowan